What is up, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSim's DFS Office Hours. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. Uh, and joined today with a guest, I've got Eric on the stream here today. Eric is one of our uh, data scientists here at SaberSim. Uh, and Eric's been working really hard researching contests for uh, about the past month now. Has it been, Eric? Almost almost a month? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, about, about a month's work into it. Lots of different iterations and everything. So Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been researching contests basically to figure out what the best approach to contest selection uh, and bankroll management is here uh, in DFS, in the DFS landscape of, of 2022. So our goals for this stream here today, uh, we want to share our findings. Uh, and there's really two components to that. We want to share our recommendations, or I guess these are really Eric's recommendations uh, for contest selection and bankroll management, uh, which the focus there is going to be maximizing your potential upside while minimizing the risk that you're taking on. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about Eric with uh, what our approach was here, how we conducted this analysis, what the research process looked like, what we actually did here, uh, and then answer any questions that you guys have as you're watching live here on today's stream. Uh, before we jump into this, we have a lot to get to, so I want to jump in quickly. But before we go ahead and jump in, I'd also want to announce here uh, that we'll be premiering a new podcast in the next couple weeks, maybe hopefully next week, uh, called Behind the Sims. Uh, and this podcast will basically be a window into the internal discussions that we have at SaberSim uh, about our models, about our simulations, about our data, uh, our research projects that we do here. And the goal really is to go, go and show what show what goes into uh, building out the best models and tools in DFS. I know uh, at times, some of what we do here at SaberSim can seem a little bit black boxy. Uh, so we want to reveal the the actual internal conversations uh, that we're having as we work through a new model or project. Uh, and the reason I'm announcing that here today is because the first series in that podcast uh, will be about this contest selection analysis. Uh, it will basically feature the actual recorded internal discussions uh, we had here as we went through the research process for this project. Um, I mean, I'm sure Eric can attest we ran into uh, a lot of issues. We had a lot of obstacles we had to overcome, a lot of questions that we had to uh, kind of talk through as a team here. So uh, if you are interested, especially after listening to or watching this stream here today, more of what went into this process uh, as we worked through it, I'd definitely check out that podcast in the the coming weeks there. So before I kind of jump into, I want to start with our, our basically our findings and our, our new contest selection recommendations. Eric, I mean, anything that you, that you want to add there before we get started? Uh, no, I just, I think that the, the podcast uh, is, is a great resource. And even, you know, I always see people asking, oh, you know, like, does the SIM take this into account or yeah. how can I add value? And I think uh, it'll be a good way to sort of um, show where there's, you know, ways for, for people to add value. So awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about that too. So cool. Let's go ahead and get this pulled up. I know, uh, this is probably what people are, are mostly excited about. Obviously we will jump into, uh, how we came up with some of these recommendations and, and we'll, why we, we stand behind these, but I just want to jump right in, uh, with a new contest selection cheat sheet for how we recommend you fill your DFS contests. Uh, so First things first, and I think maybe the most important thing that isn't really listed here, is we are going to move a bit away from the idea of contest A versus contest B. Should I play this or should I play that? And we'll talk a little bit more about why this is true in a bit. 
Uh, but the new approach that we want to recommend to selecting contests here is more about building a effective contest portfolio uh, rather than just saying, am I going to play X or Y? Um, so this will basically explain how you kind of go about doing that. So the first steps here is going to be uh, determine what your bankroll is and, and what your daily wager is for a particular slate here. Uh, the bankroll, as always, should be thought really as the amount you are committed in investing uh, for that particular sport. You don't need to have this all deposited onto the site. But really important here is not deluding yourself into thinking that this is more than what it is. Uh, we found in some of our research here uh, that GPPs, DFS GPPs are very high, high variance. Uh, they are, they can be risky. Uh, if you are not careful with your bankroll, the risk of ruin, uh, as we'll see with some of these uh, analyses that we've done here is, is real. So um, be, be uh, accurate uh, and appropriate with, with what you say that bankroll is. And then your daily wager is going to be 2.5% to 5% of your role. Uh, this is really dependent on your edge and your own personal risk tolerance. Uh, we've basically, you know, I know I've said for a long time, up to 5% maximum bankroll investment per day. Uh, that's still kind of our maximum here. We've pulled down the floor there a little bit to around 2.5% uh, for your daily wager there. Uh, our analysis backs this up, backs these numbers up, which we'll get to in a bit here. Uh, but that's where we recommend sitting for that daily wager there. So from there, uh, we are going to bucket basically all the contests that are out there into two different categories. Uh, and we are calling these diversifiers uh, and elevator contests. Uh, we're a little, uh, not totally sold on elevator yet as that second title for the other one. Uh, really like the diversifier one, but we were thinking about good names for these elevator contests the other day. And, and that's kind of where we ended up at, but we're willing to take any recommendations that you guys have or thoughts uh, on what a better name is for these. But uh, basically what these are, your diversifiers are going to be your 20 max contests, 20 max plus contests, uh, anything 20 max, 150 max higher than that. And these contests, when you max them out, are going to really serve to help lower your variance uh, on the particular slate. The elevator contests are going to be your single entry and three max contests. These are going to be your high effective entrance contests. They're going to give you a uh, higher upside there. I kind of think of them a bit as, as ROI boosters, really, uh, that the variance is high in these contests. We'll see why in, in a bit here, uh, but they're an opportunity to give yourself some, some additional upside in your portfolio there. Um, Eric, any thoughts on, on the diversifier versus elevator distinction there before I keep going? Um, no, I, I think you explained it well. Um, yeah, I will say I know that uh, previously we had talked a lot about the effective entrance and trying to maximize ma trying to maximize those, um, and that still is the case with with these elevators. Is that is something important to look at to um, try and be facing you know opponents that you feel like you can beat. So perfect, cool. So in the process of actually filling out these contests, you're going to take 50 to 75% of what your daily wager is and fill that with your diversifiers. So you will fill these lowest to highest entry fee, focusing on those uh, no veteran inexperienced contests. So the under $3 uh, on FanDuel, the under $3 on DraftKings, and also under $5 with a 25K or less total prize pool. Um, your goal here is to, to fill these uh, as much as you can, it is okay to partially fill a diversifier contest if it means that you end up between that 50 to 75% uh, 
threshold here. Um, before I kind of just keep going here, one thing I wanted to mention is at the end of this show here today, I will actually put this into practice and go through and register for the baseball slate here tonight with this particular process. So uh, if you're a little bit lost, confused here, feel free to fire away and ask questions in chat. But I'll also go through and demo this here before we hop off the stream here today. Um, one exception to this, and I think this will be an interesting to talk, thing to talk about when we get into the data a little bit here, uh, is if you have a bankroll that supports it, you want to fill the $4.20 max before the $1 mini max. Uh, we found that this is just delivers better results in our Sims pretty consistently. Uh, we have some thoughts as to why that is, but that is kind of our one exception to this rule of lowest to highest entry fee here, uh, is that $4 should be prioritized first before the $1 mini. Uh, and then the last... Thing here, uh, fill your remaining allocation with those elevator contests. So if you've put 75% of your daily wager into diversifiers, you'll take the remaining 25%. Uh, start with the non-veteran single entry contests, start filling those out, then move to your three max contests, and then move to the uh, experience contests, the ones over $3 here, uh, filling in the rest of your allocation for that particular slate. So again, I think it's a little bit of a different approach uh, than what we are at, or what we're used to to recommending here, but I think once you get the hang of it, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty intuitive when you're actually in the lobby there. So, but uh, the the main event here, I guess, of of the stream, uh, really, so to speak, is the uh, the research that we did here to get to this, because obviously this is a bit of uh, a bit of a divergence from what we've talked about here in the past. So, um, Eric, I'm going to just kind of, I guess, kick it over to you a little bit here and, and ask first. Uh, what has your, your research process looked like here to come up with this over the past couple of weeks? What did we actually do here uh, as we were digging into these contests? Yeah, so we actually, and again, this will be sort of covered on the podcast, but we sort of started from a pretty general look at fantasy points in a contest and, you know, the score to bink and, and different things like that. Um, and we sort of iterated over it and iterated over it. What we ended up doing... Um, as sort of our final project or final analysis was um, simulating out a contest, uh, checking you know how these different lineups in the contest did, um, and then you know basically assigning that into a portfolio and assigning those lineups into a portfolio. Um, and so with this like simming of a contest, uh, what we actually did was we took you know a real contest so we could look into the May 25th mini max or, or something like that. Um, we're looking at the actual lineups in that contest. Uh, and then we're assigning our simulations to those, those lineups. And so for example, if, you know, the first lineup in this contest had Otani as the pitcher, uh, and in our first sim of this contest, we had him with 25 fantasy points. That's where that lineup would start. Uh, obviously that, follows through for the rest of the players in the lineup. Um, so we do that for all of the lineups in the contest. We score sort of the contest and assign the lineups a payout. Uh, and when we do that over and over and over again, uh, what we end up doing is getting essentially a range of outcomes for that lineup. And we get an expected ROI for that lineup. Um, and so that's sort of the what's kind of behind um, a lot of the analysis here is taking real lineups from the contest and simulating them out and basically seeing, okay, over a season, how are 
these sets of lineups doing? How is this uh, portfolio doing um, in terms of ROI, in terms of variance, uh, stuff like that? So, gotcha. Cool. And so, I mean, you mentioned uh, a lineup portfolio. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on on what that actually means and um, why we ended up grouping these lineups into to portfolios like that? Yeah. So for our lineup portfolio, I mean, essentially, we're just trying to match what people are actually doing when they're entering contests. Um, and so for the most part, there aren't very many people who are playing either a single contest or one lineup in one contest. Um, and so our lineup portfolio is obviously the lineups that someone is playing on a given night, um, but also that's across many different contests. Um, and that is sort of, you know, our idea of a lineup portfolio. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think one thing I should, I should clarify there as well. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I guess really what we're talking about more here is contest portfolios, right? As opposed to like we're talking about a, a mix of a particular set of contests that somebody would play in, um, as opposed to a different set of, of contests that you might play in, both of which are, are the same kind of price point. Yeah, 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 that's correct. Um, it's more of, you know, all of your lineups go into these different contests. And that's sort of your portfolio of exposures, whatever you want to call it. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I'm like with these uh, lineup portfolios, uh, what we end up doing is sort of putting them into different uh, like groups or buckets. Um, and so I guess, yeah, as you can see, we have uh, like a single entry portfolio, we have a multi-entry portfolio, um, and then we have some mixed portfolios. Uh, and so basically, you know, what we kind of tried to replicate was, okay, for the single entries, this is someone who they want to play these single entries. They want to play these three maxes. Um, you know, they might not be into some of the large field stuff, um, but that's, you know, that's their portfolio. That's what they want to play sort of throughout the season. Um, with the multi-entry, it's basically exactly the opposite. This person wants to play 20 maxes. They want to play 150 maxes. They're basically exclusively in the diversifiers. Um, and then with the mixed stuff, what we're doing is kind of um, trying to pick and choose through. We want you know X percent of diversifiers. We want Y percent of these elevators. Um, and basically just testing to see how those different portfolios perform um, in terms of reducing variance, um, in terms of their ROIs uh, and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think the approach here was really to try to come up with a way that, you know, actually mimics how somebody would, would think about entering their, their money for that slate, right? I have a hundred dollars to play. Uh, and there's all the, there's all these different ways I can enter that. I can, uh, maximize my, uh, you know, effective entrance and enter a bunch of single entries. I can try to get as many unique lineups down as possible. Uh, and our goal basically was to to actually compare these as opposed to thinking, uh, you know, what does this contest compare to that contest? What do these actual different strategies of contest entry uh, end up looking like? Um, so you mentioned that here that we were we were simulating these out and taking the actual taking lineups that somebody might have entered into these and seeing how they performed against our Sims. What was, what would you say was our goal 
at the end of that? What what was our our metric for determining if a contest portfolio was better than another to play? Right. So what we sort of ended on is is two key metrics, um, and these two are mostly based around trying to reduce the variance in in what you're playing. Um, and so the first one is the bankroll needed for essentially zero risk of ruin. Um, and so what this is basically saying is, so in the single entry portfolio at the very top there, uh, that you know portfolio never had a downswing that was bigger than 1400. Um, and so same with, you know, with the multi-entry where that portfolio never had a downswing bigger in a season than $920. Um, and so essentially what that is just saying is, you know, you can, with different portfolios, you can play a different percentage of your bankroll in a night. Um, and then you can arrive at an ROI quickly and, you know, get more, more profit and, you know, keep compounding that over and over. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the, the bankroll needed for zero bus that, um, that that's covering there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have questions there. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, so what, so I guess that makes sense to me kind of from the minimizing risk standpoint here. Um, basically, you know, you have all these different ways. So first of all, I, I think it's it's not totally clear on the spreadsheet here or the way I have that shown up, but these are these are basically different $100 portfolios here. So you have uh, single entry stands for the single entry player, right? Multi-entry stands for the multi-entry player. And then we have all these different kind of mixed options of different portfolios in between those here. Um, so you can you can minimize your risk, I guess, by playing this mixed type of, of portfolio, right? Um, yep. These these different diversified slash elevator kind of portfolios. Do they have the same upside? I guess is one question that I have. Is like, obviously it, it seems pretty clear that you can minimize your risk. You need less of a bankroll to to have zero busts. Your risk of ruin is a little bit lower. Uh, are you sacrificing anything by, by taking this kind of uh, portfolio on the upside side? Right. I think uh, it, it is dependent on, on what contest you're entering. I think you're probably giving up just a very minuscule amount of ROI. Um, but at the end of the day, we're getting paid in profit, not in ROI. And so if we can just realize a very slightly lower ROI a little bit quicker, we can then reinvest that um, and, and build up our bankroll. Uh, so it is a little bit of give and take in terms of you know, to reduce your variance, you're likely reducing your ROI very, very slightly. Um, but overall, it's it's pretty close to um, to the other to the ROIs of, of the other strategies as well. Gotcha. Okay. And I think what's really interesting about this here too, and I, I'm I'm curious to hear just kind of your thoughts about this. Um, it's it's a weird case where. At the single entry level, we have this uh, high risk of, or you need a $5,000 bankroll basically to support a single entry focused $100 allocation per night. Uh, and we need a $3,500 bankroll to support a really multi-entry focused $100 allocation per night. 
the actual optimal value, and this is a trend that we saw at different portfolio sizes, the, the, the optimal value of, of, I guess, contest portfolio is somewhere in between there, right? Is that it's this mixed, it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, can you can you speak a little bit to that, I guess? And um, maybe if you have any like, thoughts on on why that that's showing up here in the data? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I think in a general sense, it makes sense that the single entry stuff is just more variant. I mean, you're putting in less lineups over the course of a season. Um, and so, you know, you're just going to need that higher bankroll to sustain. Um, one thing that I should have touched on, but just the, the 75th percentile profit and losses, those are kind of like the error bands to where you can finish at the end of a season. Um, and so as you can see, like in the single entry stuff, those sort of error bands are much wider than when you get down into the mixed stuff. Um, and then again, they sort of follow that same pattern where they shoot up at the end. Um, and so what I think is sort of happening here is, is with the mixed, you're obviously getting some of that variance reduction from the, uh, diversifier contests. Mm-hmm. But you're also keeping a lot of the upside and, and that sort of stuff uh, from these like single entry contests that you're also entering into. Um, and the reason why I believe that in the multi-entry portfolios, our variance is sort of shooting up again um, is because at some point you're starting to put lineups into just these massive, massive contests um, where it's like, oh, now it's, you know, 40,000 entries in this one. Um, and so you just are keeping to push that variance up and up. Um, and so hitting that sweet spot of, we want to reduce our variance, uh, by entering into these diversifier contests, uh, but also keep a good ROI and keep a good sort of time to realize that ROI. Um, that's sort of the sweet spot where we found the band of 50% to 75% in the diversifier contest. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the most interesting takeaways here for me. Uh, I mean, I think people in general have a habit of, you know, assuming if a, if a little bit of a thing is good, uh, then a lot of that thing is, is really good or is even better. And, you know, if you're looking at the single entries and you think, wow, I can, I, you know, I can, um, improve or lower my variance by playing more multi-entry stuff than maximizing multi-entries surely must be the best thing I can do. And that's not really the case. It has, it is actually really that that balance, uh, is, is found in the simulations themselves that that's the right way to, to play it there. Yeah. And I think too, one of like another piece of this is for a lot of the multi-entry stuff, um, you know, a, a 40,000 entrant contest compared to a 20,000 entrant contest, it has double the entries, mm-hmm. but the variance is going to be more than double. Um, and so you get, you know, it's, it's not sort of a linear effect. And so if you're entering in a ton and like a ton of these multi-entries, you're more likely to hit those like big, big contests, uh, which, which is gonna sort of shoot your variance through the roof. Um, so. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think there's a couple interesting questions here that I've already seen come in as we're walking through this here. So, uh, let's, let's tackle a couple of these. If anybody else has other questions for us, feel free to fire away here, but 12 pack had asked, um, do these portfolios assume all unique lineups? Yes. So in 
all of these uh, all of these portfolios, whether it's single entry, uh, multi entry, any of the mix, we're assuming that uh, if if you just scroll over on the on the sheet, Jordan, yes, um, we're assuming that in this lineups played, that is unique lineups. So for the single entry in the you know the twenty five dollar allocation there, they're playing nine unique lineups across their nine contests or however many contests it is. Um, and that's just kind of a result of using the real lineups from contests because um, it, it would be impossible to track across different contests and everything to try and match all of those up perfectly. Um, and in general, I would say that I extremely recommend like you know, filling your lineups with with that unique, like with unique lineups, um, mm -hmm. just to to reduce some of the variance as well. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, so uh, one question I had, you can see, especially as we start to talk, start thinking about a larger bankroll here, we've got a one thousand dollar daily wager here with a mixed. Uh, that's four hundred and twenty four unique lineups. Um, I mean, that's that's more unique lineups than than I've played on on most slates this particular season. Do you have any thoughts on you know if there is kind of a high limit, a high end limit there of how many unique lineups you'd want to play before you start doubling down on some of those contests or some of those lineups? I guess or um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to come away with sort of a hard and fast rule uh, yeah. because it is pretty slate specific. Um, I guess the the one thing to know is that obviously when you're putting another lineup into a contest or something, in theory, that lineup is, well, you think that it's, it's not as good as your first lineup. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're getting into like a three-game slate, uh, the 400th lineup there, like, is not going to be as good as the 400th lineup on a 15-game slate. Right. Um, and so th there's there's some nuance there where uh, I think with bigger slates you can get away with with higher numbers. I think a good rule of thumb is as soon as you're into 300, 400 like unique lineups, that's pretty close to the max. Um, but again, like slate size is, is pretty important to that. Um, so. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that's a, a challenge there here uh, is you have to get over the mental hump of, you know, if we look at like this 1000 portfolio here, so we can see what contests went into this, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, unique filling and recommending unique filling contests where, uh, you know, by pure luck, that contest might end up in the 50 cent minimax or it might end up in the $250 entry ball four where there's a $15,000 prize up top or something like that. Um, I know that can be a little bit uh, difficult, a difficult pill to swallow, um, but I, I think it's it's clear. And maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea of playing a unique lineup into all of these entries is kind of a core premise of this recommendation, right? That's something that, you know, to get the value out of this contest selection approach that's something you need to be doing. Is that is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I think that you're always going to notice when you have a lineup that, you know, instead of getting into the $1 yeah. max and thinking that it's in the 50 cent. Um, but, you know, it, it does go both ways. You're going to have that 230th lineup that, you know, if you weren't 
building all of these unique lineups. Like that 230th lineup is also going to bing sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, it's I think it's important to get over that hurdle of, um, you know, it's it's nice to have these like massive big spike days, but by playing more unique lineups, you're reducing those big downward spike days. Um, so. Yeah, and I think there is a cognitive bias there as well. Like it's, you know, it's it's very unlikely that uh, your lineups end up being perfectly sorted in actual score in terms of the order of the entry fee, right? There's always something at the end of the night you can look and say, oh, if that lineup ended up in that contest, I would have made a little extra money. But on average, I do agree, even as hard as it is to, to swallow there, uh, that it, it works both ways. Uh, it's going to end up in your favor as often as it doesn't here. Um, Adam asks an interesting question. Before we get into that, I kind of want to quickly just uh, ask you, Eric. So are we assuming uh, a constant ROI for these different uh, portfolios here? Or uh, how does th how does that work? Yeah, so for the most part, these portfolios are built around about a 10% ROI. Okay. Um, it's it's a little bit tricky because at some point you kind of do have to pick like you know what what like what ROI are, are we looking at because we're looking at the individual or like the actual lineups uh, in, in the sims. Um, and so obviously if you know if if you feel like you're a 20% ROI player or if you feel like you're just slightly over a break even player, these numbers are going to change a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of like, you know, the amount of bankroll to play maybe, um, or like different stuff like that. Um, so I, it is an important note, I think, that uh, this is for about a 10% ROI player. Um, gotcha, right, okay. Um, so then, so Adam asks here, does the ROI decrease as the bankroll increases? In other words, as you enter more slash higher dollar contests, uh, the edge goes down slash diminishing returns. Uh, how does that then change the optimal mix? Um, and then Matt actually asks a question here as well and says, is it ever better to wait for the big flagship contest to fill and enter the smaller follow-up contests instead, assuming you have the bankroll to max out that contests? And I think these are interesting kind of questions here to jump into uh, some of the analysis that we did on individual contests. Um, I know, so I know, Eric, you spent some time also, you know, measuring how different characteristics, whether I guess Matt's question really here is about contest size. Uh, and I think Adam's question is an interesting one about uh, entry fee. Uh, can you talk a little bit here about some of the research we did on individual contests and what we kind of measured for those characteristics there? Yeah, I, like, I guess just to kind of give a quick answer to Adams, I think that in general, as you move up in stakes, your ROI is is going to decrease a little bit. I think it's also important to remember that, um, you know, at the end of the day, your ROI doesn't matter a ton. It's it's that pure profit number. And so, you know, even if you're entering more higher dollar contests or you're entering more and your edge is a little bit less, maybe you're an 8% ROI player now instead of 10 Um the idea is to make up for that in what you're what you're entering and, and your entry fees. Um, so there's a little bit of diminishing returns in that way, but at the end of the day, we we care about our profit, not about our, our ROI. 
So. Gotcha. And what are your thoughts here on, um, on Matt's question here um, about what, what did we find, I guess, really uh, with, with contest sizing overall, is it generally better to, to play the smaller contest? Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, comparing the big flagship to, to the smaller follow-up, I would, I would recommend the smaller follow-up, obviously depending on your, your bankroll and everything. Um, but you know, the big relay throws, um, and, and that like the variance is just massive in those. Um, and so if you can reduce some of those entries, I, I think that that that's a good way to, you know, still hit your diversification alloc allocation, mm -hmm. um, but not, you know, increase the variance by entering just these massive, massive contests. Um, so, yeah. And I think what's really interesting about that too, is that, you know, previously just comparing two of those contests together, we would have, or at least my old contest selection intuition and recommendations would have been to play the larger one, uh, that from an effective entrance standpoint, that contest was better to play because those additional entries were filled by, by softer players, um, is, is the kind of new way, I guess we're thinking about this somewhat that, you know, that the lower variance in results that you get outweigh the, uh, potential softer competition there? I, I would say so. And I also think that the, the competition from sort of that first big flagship to the smaller follow-up, um, my, this is just sort of an intuition thing, but my guess is that it's not all that different in terms of the difficulty of the contest. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, if the contest is a, of a similar difficulty, but you can hit sort of your long-term expectation a little bit quicker, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's better. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And that makes sense. I, I, one thing I wanted to, to just quickly kind of return to, um, talking about Adam's question here, but before we move on with this ROI, uh, at, at different, um, at different entry fees. And I know you had mentioned that, that the realization of profit is, is more important than, than ROI. Um, as we think about entry fee though, is it a linear, does a contest get linearly harder as that entry fee gets bigger? Um, or is there, you know, what is, what is that actual curve of, if you were to kind of think about contest difficulty, I guess, as you moved up in stakes, what does that look like? Right. So what I found with that was obviously the, the non-experienced stuff, um, was significantly softer than, than the experienced stuff. Um, and so there, there's a pretty solid cutoff, uh, at that, you know, non-experienced to experienced crossover. Um, and so anytime you can get stuff under that $4 threshold, uh, mm -hmm. it's like 25,000 total prizes or something like that. Like anytime you can get a contest that's under that, you're almost always going to want to play that over something that's, that's above. Um, what's interesting is that once you sort of get into the, you know, the twenties, the 25s, um, that sort of stuff, it really doesn't matter. Um, and so like a $25 contest compared to an $88 contest are pretty similar in terms of um, sort of contest difficulty. 
Mm -hmm. um, and I guess one other interesting thing to note is that in these higher dollar contests, you know, you, you might see slightly better players and sort of slightly better lineups, but at a certain point, the rake also goes down. Um, and so that also can help a little bit in um, sort of counteracting the the players uh, that, that are more skilled. Gotcha. And you, since you mentioned rake, I think that's particularly an, an interesting one to, to focus on. Um, I mean, what has been your sense of, of how important rake is in this analysis? And I think on a practical level, you know, how much should somebody maybe be willing to break from even our contest selection recommendations if they see an opportunity in the lobby to get a reduced rake or even a no rake or, or an overlaid opportunity there? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, obviously it's an advantage to, uh -huh. to be entering contests with overlay. Um, I, I wouldn't say you want to go overboard with it, um, especially in some of these, like, you know, you still need to be in the top whatever to profit. Um, and so even though you're increasing that chance, uh, if you're playing way over your bankroll into this $10,000 entrant contest, like, yeah, you're, you're helping yourself, but your variance is just increasing, um, a, a crazy amount. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say be careful with that. Uh, all things equal. It's, it's better for sure to reduce that rake. There's more money available for you to win. Essentially you have to beat less people, but um, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a slippery slope where I think you can get carried away with it. Um, so. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to kind of not so much, I guess, move on here uh, a, a little bit, um, and, and ask a bit about the variance of these games in general. I think we set out with a goal here to come up with a contest selection framework, uh, and then ended up with an interesting research project that that shows um how variant results can be when you're just playing dfs period uh can you talk a little bit about what what you learned and what you found here about you know what are reasonable expectations for for winning uh for a player playing dfs yeah i mean it's the, i would say this is kind of the most shocking thing that i found and that i didn't obviously you you sort of know and you sort of feel it but um looking at the numbers it's it's insane uh mm -hmm. like a, a lot of these portfolios you know are, are winning 30 percent of the time maybe that's like 10 days in, in a month yeah uh which is just not a lot um and then i mean also you can see the winning streaks and losing streaks like you can go on runs where it's three weeks of like you know slightly losing or you know losing and like that can feel like it could never end um and so yeah i think that that is a big takeaway in like if you have had a rough week it's not okay let's immediately press the panic button you know let's reevaluate every aspect of my process um i think it's important to be sort of detail oriented and you know if you're in a if you're in a losing streak like that to, you know, evaluate your lineups and try and find some stuff, but I don't think it's a total, you know, hit the reset button because I've, I've lost this week kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, these are, 
these are actual streaks here as they're listed as well. So this would be con- these are consecutive days, 25 consecutive unprofitable days uh, as the longest losing streak in some of these samples for a player that that is we know to be profitable that has that that around a 10% ROI. Yeah, yeah. So that's like when when we are simulating out the seasons, you know, it's essentially count, you know, the max amount of days they they lost in a row and yeah, 25. <laughs> that's rough for for someone who, you know, we like we've chosen the the portfolio so that they're profitable essentially. Um but yeah, it's uh I don't know. Very, very humbling, I would say. Yeah, and I think another way of looking at this that I kind of just wanted to to call out here. So I guess before before we talk about too much of the data here on this page, so can you talk about what each of these kind of different, I guess, individual contest sims are or, or what we we're trying to accomplish with these individual contest sims? Yeah, so for these, we basically were just looking at, um, you know, a set of 150 into the minimax uh, at various ROIs and, and so on and so forth with the four seamer, the chin music, um, the relay throw and the battery. Um, and so this is, this would be like, if you were playing this single contest on a slate, you know, you're putting 150 into the mini max, let's say somehow, you know, you're a 20% ROI player. What does that sort of look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the results are, are pretty interesting. Um, just in terms of, you know, again, percentage of winning days, your profitable days per month, like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, and, and especially like to this, this really shows and takes into account the payout structure. Yeah. Uh, and so like for the relay throw, I mean, five profitable days per month, like it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of ugly. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you really need to be at the top of these contests to 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 be profitable. So, and I think what gets really interesting here, and and really eye opening for me, um, is as we get down to a zero ROI or a even a negative ROI here, um, we see a drop off in terms of profitable days per month, maybe like one or two less uh, profitable days per month for a negative ten percent ROI player compared to a 10% ROI player. Uh, but it's not incredibly apparent, I would say, that uh, this player is as uh, a negative 10% long-term ROI. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that and maybe, you know, any ideas on on how somebody might actually be able to, to tell if they're profitable? Because uh, I think one thing that jumped out to me here is just how hard it would be to know that, really. Um, if you were kind of living this, this, uh, this sim out. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, um, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously difficult to, to know if you, if you're negative 10%, if you're temperate, like it's, it's hard. Um, I, I think the, the common heuristics, like top 1% rate, um, stuff like that. I think this really, you know, adds support to following some of those metrics. Um, just because like, for the most part, what's this, what this is saying is the difference in a 10% ROI player and a negative 10% is getting those lineups into the top and, you know, converting on a few of them or, or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's not in, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better at min caching or, or anything like that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, when you're right, what are you winning? Um, 
and so i think you know the the top one percent rate looking at that type yeah. of stuff is is a pretty good way of of trying to sort of hack so that you you can understand what your roi is a little bit quicker right yeah uh, that makes sense and i i i i still just can't get over some of this here um <laughs> with uh how how tight those results can be or how close together those results can be for a 40% or a 20% swing in, in ROI there. Um, is there any like other particular things in the data here that you think are useful that, that you want to to spend a little bit of time looking at here? You want me to pull up while I'm driving here? Um, I actually, I think you can go, if you hop into the raw number sheet, I think there's an interesting, um, and down to the, uh, it's like the non-experienced four-seamer versus the four-seamer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess to, to kind of explain this, um, this was one of the spots that we started. And so basically what we did is we took a lineup from the four-seamer and we put it, or a lineup from the experienced four-seamer, we put it into the non-experienced four-seamer, um, and then we basically ran the contest and figured out where those experienced lineups like came in and measured the change in ROI, which is the number on the right there. Mm-hmm. And so w- what we see is that in the experienced four-seamers, if you just plucked sort of any random lineup from that contest and put it into the non-experienced four-seamer, the lineup's ROI would actually go up almost 4%. Um, and so, I mean, what that's saying is the non-experienced stuff is like s- softer than, than the experienced stuff. Um, and this is, you know, same contest, same like price point, same max entry. Um, but it's just, you know, because it's not letting the giant squids of the world in, uh, you know, it's, it's a softer contest and it's, it's easier to win. So I think that's, that's pretty interesting. It is really interesting. And I think this is a great example of, you know, measuring in a very, scientific and, and somewhat controlled way that the that experience the value of the experience contest versus the non-experience contest and i mean a, a three and a half point joke is or a three and a half point uh difference is no joke here i mean that's that's yeah. a significant jump that you can get just purely by the people that are allowed to play that particular contest um we had a question here uh from um rs here and he said uh I think the four seamer is almost always open to high volume per the fair play rule. Um, it actually looks like in our data, it, we said that the majority was non-experienced. Um, that yeah, most of the time this was a non-experienced contest. Yeah, I don't have the exact numbers on hand with me, but um, in our sample, I think it was like seventy percent were, were non-experienced. Gotcha. Um, but I think I think there's probably a little bit of uh, like bias up till now in the season where mm-hmm. you know the contests for mlb are still pretty big and so the four seamer can get above that uh dollars threshold um but as the season sort of wears on um the the contests tend to get a little bit smaller uh and so we'll see more non-experienced four seamers but at least in our data set which is mostly from last year and then just kind of the start of this year mm-hmm. uh it was it was pretty heavily weighted towards the the non-experienced 
players being allowed in it. So gotcha. Yeah. And at that $4 price point, anytime that's under 25 K total price pool, uh, that'll be a non-experienced contest. Um, and I think going back to, to Matt's question before, um, I know he was talking about the $15, but for the $4 in particular, it seems like there's, I mean, you know, a pretty compelling case to, to wait around a little bit and see if they do open up a smaller one. Uh, because you, if they, you know, if the, if the, uh, four seamer at the start of the day is this contest and you wait around long enough and they open up this one later, you can basically just by waiting, give, give yourself an extra three and a half points of, of theoretical ROI on the same lineup set there. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's a great point. Awesome. Cool. Um, Anything else on the like the data here uh, that you want me to pull up here? Um, I think one thing, and maybe okay, here they are. Um, yeah. I know we had done these these graphs, which are a visual uh, representation of these different um, contests. You want to you want to talk a little bit about like what these actually model here, um, or anything that you found interesting in the the, the visual data here. Yeah, I mean, so essentially, what we're doing here is we're just following. Uh, I think this is like. 21 of of these uh sort of seasons uh mm -hmm. that, that we're simulating um and just kind of following to see where they are at various days of the season um and just you know i think it's it's cool to see the difference in variance of like the chin music for example yeah uh where you're entering one lineup per day uh and what that looks like versus something like the minimax where you're putting in 150 per day. Um, and so I, I think that it's just a cool sort of visual aid. And I also think it helps a little bit in managing some of your exposure. And so like, you know, you can have this sort of diversified way of entering contests. Um, but if your exposures are super heavily concentrated, uh, you know, you're, you're essentially going to be closer to like the chin music graph than a multi-entry graph like the Minimax or, or something like that. Um, and so I, I think that's also an important thing to keep in mind is that you know part of diversification is obviously in your lineup exposures and in your player exposures. Mm -hmm. um, because if you get too concentrated around a stack or you know something like that, uh, your your variance graph is going to end up looking like the chin music uh, more than some of these other uh multi-entry graphs right yeah and i mean maybe elevators is actually a pretty good name for these uh these single entry <laughs> three maxes because that kind of is how it looks right you get these like i mean you, single entry you win it once you're gonna have this huge uh boost to your your profit and a little bit more of the the flatter curves here with the multi-entry stuff so um i think those were uh yeah i think this is kind of a, a cool visual representation of that there mm -hmm. um uh, let's see a, a couple other questions that have have trickled in here. A um, few quick ones. So Glenn had asked if we this was on DraftKings and FanDuel. So the analysis we did here uh, is on DraftKings. I know uh, there was a question here from a Brian in uh, Slack as well asking about FanDuel. When we get to the end of the stream here, I will do kind of a quick demo of using our recommendations to enter contests on both sites. Um, the analysis was done on DraftKings here. Eric, do you have any reason to? I don't know, have any doubts about the application here on FanDuel or do you kind of feel like this is, is pretty universal advice? I, I feel like it's pretty universal. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously the 
you know, some of the, the payout structure and, and that sort of stuff is, is going to be a little bit different on, on FanDuel. Um, and I wish that we could do exactly the same analysis on FanDuel, mm -hmm. uh, but we can't. So, um, right. uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a pretty generalizable and, and good rule in, you know, reducing your variance uh, to, to sort of realize your, your ROI sooner. And uh, another kind of similar question here. So Jesse asked if this was uh, specifically a baseball analysis um, and said that his variance differs a lot between sports. Um, this was this was purely just for baseball. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, what you might expect this to look like for different sports, maybe a lower variance sport like, like basketball or um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I would expect, you know, obviously for for basketball, for it to be, less less sort of swingy uh and and have less variance like less sort of base variance i guess um what i am really interested in at some point is to do a similar analysis with nfl because yeah i think i think that would be very interesting just in terms of you know how big the contests are um how short the seasons are uh and then just the variance within the sport as well where i would guess it's you know the sort of the sport variance is a little bit less than uh than mlb but obviously uh there's much more sort of sport variance in nfl than than nba um but yeah this is exclusively baseball so yeah and i think some of that you know even in a sport that has theoretical like tighter ranges of outcomes for players that's still constant across all of the contests in a lobby so i i would be interested to see some different sport analysis here as well but i feel like i would maybe have a hypothesis here that the curves would actually look pretty similar just because you know those are the, the the individual player ranges of outcomes and the the variance of the sport defined that way is is somewhat kind of the the table stakes of the sport, I feel like, right? Like everybody has to play against those same yeah, rules. That's true. Um, but I don't know. I'd be, yeah, I'd be really interested. And I know, uh, you know, for NFL in particular, we do want to revisit some of this just because that can be such a different lobby uh, compared to all the other sports in the in the DraftKings lobby in terms of contest sizings and offerings and things like that. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, a good question there. Um, I think this is an interesting one too. And another angle here that, that we didn't really dive into for this particular research, but uh, OA said, does MLB have the same trade as MLB that after a while, while contests get harder uh, or more efficient through the season? And um, we've talked about that a little bit here on, on office hours of, of the, the softer fields dropping out as the season goes on. Um, any, any thoughts there, Eric, on, on that impact, I guess, as it relates to, to contest selection? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have... You know hard hard data or anything i i agree that you know likely as the season sort of wears on you get sort of less of that soft money in in your contests um you know I, it it might lower your roi a little bit uh but it i don't think it's a you know a massive it should change anything massively in terms of contest selection and, and stuff like that and i guess a question i have is you know, are these 160 day seasons that we've put together or are these, would, th would that be accounted here? Are these chronological seasons where like actually literally at the end of this sim set, there might be a, a, a more efficient field or 
Um, it's not a hundred percent like that now. Okay. It gotcha. it sort of varies throughout the season. It's it's just hard to to match up every single day to every single day, basically. Um, so it, it wouldn't be perfect in that way now. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then I, so I think, you know, kind of thinking through this, maybe one thing you could do, especially if this is something that you've noticed, um, is, is reduce that wager share as the season goes along, um, and reduce some of your, your risk there, uh, to, to your bankroll. So, um, okay. Let me go ahead. I want to take a look at some other questions here. Um, let's see. Um, Okay, this is a longer question. I'm just going to go ahead and post this in the chat, and we'll we'll answer this and um, see. So, uh, said I'd be interested in seeing what the percentile distributions of lineups entered looks like that resulted in this analysis. Uh, for example, lineups in the top 0.1, 0.5, etc. I believe on stream uh, that a roughly 10% median average ROI was used, but obviously it takes an extremely large sample size to know if your ROI is 0.9, 1.0, 1.1, et cetera, much less the difference between 1.05, 1.1, just based on the variance within the top 1% entries. The lineup percentiles also do take a large sample size, but much quicker to get a picture of that than ROI. Uh, Just reached the point on the stream where this concept was talked about. Don't think the actual resulting numbers were shown or stated. I think I'm I'm a little maybe a little bit confused there, Eric. Do you have any thoughts on on this question here? Yeah, I mean, I think I think his his follow up there is essentially saying like we he he kind of would like to see um, the same portfolio analysis, but for like a twenty percent ROI player or zero percent or negative ten percent. Hmm, yeah, um, just to kind of I guess see how how that affects um maybe the bankroll we're recommending or stuff like that we did do the um the single entry and multi the the very top two portfolios i did do those as five percent uh like assumed five percent roi um and what i found is that the bankroll was a little bit higher uh where you know per night it was i think it was around uh, like yeah. 2.3%. Um, but it, uh, I don't have in this sheet here. Okay. Um, but it's like a, you know, having your ROI, uh, obviously is going to reduce the amount of bankroll you want to play per night, but it's not like you need to have your bankroll percentage per night. So like, you know, going from 10% to 5%, doesn't mean you need to go from 2.72% to 1.35%. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the general recommendations and the process we've set forward here is probably still the most efficient contest selection process, even at different ROIs, right? Like a... Even if you're even if you're negative, right? Even if you're playing currently at like a negative five or a negative ten percent ROI, using this contest selection framework is still going to basically minimize the risk at that particular level and give yourself as much runway as possible to become a profitable player. Give yourself as much like the longest time horizon profitable or longest time horizon there. Does that make sense? Is that I mean, do you do you agree with that idea there? Um, and obviously, there's nothing a negative player can do 
purely by contest selection to become a profitable player. But I think to the spirit of the question, even if you had a different ROI than what we've sampled here, we would still recommend this. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Cool. Um, okay, I still see a, a, a few other questions trickling in here. Um, we'll, we'll get to everything before the end. I'm, I'm glad that there's um, a lot of, of excitement and interest in this. Um, I wanted to ask, I mean, Eric, you a couple more questions here. Um, you know, first, I know this process of the way we were doing this research evolved a lot over time. That's why we're putting this podcast out is we want you guys to be able to see how we how we basically arrived at, at doing uh, our research in this way. Are there any limitations that you feel like uh, to this particular approach here um, or anything, you know, with the hindsight that you have now having spent a month on this uh, that you might have done a little bit differently or how you might have conducted this a little bit differently? Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with with a little bit of what we did with, um, you know, taking lineups that are actually played in the contests and that sort of stuff, we're losing a little bit of some of the like slate specific nuance or even just like you know if if you could optimize for your lineups in these contests like maybe our recommendations would be a little bit different um and so you know some of that i think is just unavoidable where uh you know it's it's impossible to kind of account for every single like possible lineup that you could put into this contest and mm -hmm. you know your your total portfolio without getting into some wild like true portfolio optimization stuff yeah um and so like the you know there's there's a little bit there where uh you know if, if you're sort of thinking about this i think there's also value you can add on top of it in terms of thinking about how my lineups sort of interact in like a global sense uh, of the contest I'm putting them into. Um, and then just like for some of the bankroll stuff, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this before, but obviously uh, if you're if you're winning or if you're losing, like you're gonna move up or down in stakes. Um, yeah. And so, you know, some of the bankroll stuff, we basically just assumed that, you know, if you start with a $1,400 bankroll, you're gonna put in $25 every slate no matter if you're on like a crazy sun run or if you're <laughs> downstream. So yeah. gotcha. So I, I guess that would add a little bit, maybe a little bit more like realism to the sim of, yeah. of actually having somebody move up or down uh, in stakes there. So yeah, no, that'd be interesting. I know this is kind of a, a similar question here. Um, so if, if the answer is the same, just let me know. But thinking about head to like NFL or, or even other sports seasons, if we, uh, you know, we want to, come back to this uh, and and spend a little bit more time doing some analysis. Is there anything you specifically want to focus on uh, the next time you return to this after um, I know what will be a much deserved break from thinking about contest selection <laughs> for a bit? Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think um, what this analysis sort of leads me to next is kind of putting the last piece together, which is lineup uh, exposures and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to, I mean, essentially build your lineups to put into the contest that like those lineups specifically also reduce the variance. Um, and so in, instead of, you know, I think taking the real lineups makes sense conceptually because like people actually played these and like 
you know, we know that these are lineups that people would actually play. And these are, um, you know, exposures that people actually have. But I think there is a piece sort of missing there where it's like, well, what if we could make these lineups better? Um, yeah. And so I, I would, I would say that is, is maybe, um, one of the avenues to, to explore going forward. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's a really interesting one. I, I'd be really interested to see that as well. Cause I think one thing that's, you know, on my mind here is how, how we, we talked about unique filling a, a lineup into all of these different contests, but obviously that, or maybe not so obviously, I think theoretically the strategy, the optimal strategy to attack, you know, the single entries, the three maxes, the 150 maxes are all going to be a little bit different and seeing the idea of like marrying those two concepts, your contest selection and your actual lineup strategy is, is fascinating. I'd be really interested to see what kind of came out on the other side of that. So, um, cool. Let me go ahead and take a look. I want to see, get us caught up on some other questions here. Um, I think I missed a couple, um, okay. Let me see. Um, okay. So Delphiki had, had, uh, given some clarification here um we'll touch on this here and then i want to do a kind of a practice round uh of entering some contests on DraftKings and FanDuel here so uh he said for the base 10 percent roi that was used for the main part of the analysis was that putting 1.2 percent of entries into the top one percent or 1.4 percent or 1.8 percent that's what i meant by the distributions of lineups so i think i kind of see what's going on here i mean so what's in my head here is you know the tool of top 1% equity as like a descriptive tool to see if you are profitable is, is useful in real life, but it's not as descriptive as an actual theoretical ROI. Like I think basically what, what's being asked here is what if instead of having a column that said, you know, ROI where we measured, you know, different contest portfolios at 10% and 20%, we're saying, what if we measured it at top 1% equity? Uh, right. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I feel like that, that number is just inherently a little noisier, but do you think there's something? something I, there? I, I do think it would be interesting. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, I mean, it, it would, you know, I would have to go back into the data and get the yeah. actual numbers for the portfolios that, that we sort of did. Um, but I do think that that would be an interesting sort of, you know, line to take where it's like, okay, if I'm putting 1.8% of my lineups into the top 1%, like, where does that sort of shake out in terms of long-term ROI? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a really cool question. And I think yeah. that is like a really, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to answer, like going forward, you know, at, at the current time, I, I don't, I don't know what that would be. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, marrying that, okay, I'm, I'm looking at this heuristic, uh, you know, but what, you know, what does that mean for my ROI? I think that that is, is a pretty cool question. Um, so. Cool. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I'd be really interested to hear, you know, in particular, is that more effective at single entries? Is that uh, a more effective tool in, in larger field contests? How does that change as you move up and down stakes? I think 
Um, that would be a really interesting analysis, especially because, you know, for, for most people that don't have the ability to to sim out their results, I think something like top 1% equity ends up being one of the best tools that that you have to determine your, your profitability. So actually testing that, that, that sounds really interesting here. So um, I do also, I see a bunch of questions from you guys here um, about just kind of other stuff in general. Uh, we are just in the interest of time here, going to try to stay focused on the contest selection and bankroll management type questions here today. If you guys have questions about other things, feel free to fire them away in the office hours channel in Slack, and I'll, I'll try to get back to you guys before the weekend there. Um, but just to, to stay on topic here, focusing on that that stuff here, um, I think it's a good opportunity. I want to maybe uh, do a little bit of uh, a refresher here of the actual process uh, of what our new contest selection recommendations look like and actually put this into practice uh, and maybe enter into some contests here just so you guys can see how it works. So um, again, a reminder, you take two and a half to 5% of your established bankroll. I think for the example here, I'm going to just assume I'm playing around $100 on both sites. And then you're going to split up the way you're thinking about diversifiers, which are your 20 max and 150 maxes, and your elevator contests, which are your single entry and three max contests. 50 to 75% of that daily wager, so in my case, 50 to about $75 is going to go into those diversifiers. I'm going to fill them low to high. I'm going to focus on non-experienced contests first. Uh, and then I'll fill the remaining up with the the elevators here. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to get this right uh, live here on stream. But Eric, if I'm doing something wrong or you notice, uh, hey, that's not that's not what we're supposed to be doing here. Uh, just just yell at me here. So um, I think the easiest way to do this here is obviously we'll start DraftKings and let me zoom this in here a little bit so you guys can actually see what's going on. Um, and we'll pull this down. So I'm gonna start with diversifiers first. Again, I'm doing uh, about. $100. So I'm looking to get about 50 or $75 in the larger field stuff. So let's go ahead. Um, I hate this tooltip. It always drives me crazy. Uh, I'm going to limit this to $5 just to try to focus on the, the non-experience contest where I can. I'm going to sort by entry fee. I think uh, actually right off the bat, one question I, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on, are on these dime times. Um, I know these didn't really actually fit into our analysis. They weren't in any of our portfolios. What do you think about these contests? Do you think these work as as diversifiers? Are they worth entering? Or should I jump to the, the quarter jukebox as my first kind of diversifying contest? Um, you know, I, I don't mind maybe one of the dime times. Uh, okay. I do think, uh, I know that you brought this up previously in one of our calls, but um, you know, I, I do think that you are going to be playing against a lot of the same people in yeah. a lot of these dime times. And like, even just looking at, especially those bottom three, it's like you have 514, 535 and 675 entrants in there right now. Yeah. Um, and I would guess that a lot of those entrants are the same people who are maxing the same stuff out. Um, and so, you know, in general, if you're just going through and hammering these dime times, like, you're, you know, obviously you're able to play more lineups, but you're playing the same opponents again and again and again, um, which isn't going to help sort of your diversification uh, effort. So I, I'd, I'd be fine with one of them. Okay. Um, For two dollars, not not too big of a deal to to get into one of these. I think that's that's a fine in between there. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead, and I'm just going to put we'll put a dummy lineup in here uh, to get something filled out here real quickly. Um, and then we'll go from there. You, you don't use your crowns. That's crazy. No, that's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my bank. 
That's my oh, backup good. plan. Yeah, something, <laughs> something goes wrong. Uh, I'm going to the DK crown. So. Uh, okay, cool. So, all right. So now let's go ahead and this, uh, the DraftKings multi-entry tool can make this pretty easy here. So I'm basically shooting to make this number be somewhere between 50 and 75 with the diversifier contest. So uh, we'll get into the Porter Jukebox. That's a good one there. Um, let's go ahead. Uh, again, I think, you know, skipping a lot of these smaller field type things, they don't really help diversify you uh, that much. Is that, do you agree with that kind of way of thinking there? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I would stick more to um, just like the bigger, the bigger stuff. Okay. And that brings me to the, the mini max here uh, would be the, the, the next one to enter here. Should I prioritize the, the 20 maxes um, or am I going into the, the mini max next? Um, so we're at what, like, we're at like, 10 bucks? uh, wait, what happened to my quarter jukebox? Quarter jukebox must have died. We're at like $5. What? <laughs> What's going on? Oh. Okay. So we're at $7. Right. Uh, uh yeah. So this is kind of a, an interesting decision here where it's like, obviously if you're maxing the mini max there, it's, uh, I believe it's 75 total. Yeah. Uh, if I do my math right, um, versus uh, you know some of these solo shots, which are which are twenty max each, um, I, I think what I would do here is probably go both of those solo shots uh, and then just kind of fill to the mini max. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with um, you know putting uh 150 into the minimax sort mm -hmm. of having that as you know maybe you're hitting 80 percent there i don't think there's anything wrong with that and sort of when we get to this point we're pretty much splitting hairs um so whether you want to do something like that where you know you're hitting half of it uh or if you want to remove those solo shots and you know hit the hit the minimax to to the max um I think it's I think it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I think in the interest of actually diversifying here with these contests, I think it does make sense to get to these contests here somewhat. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. I think that's actually probably something that I missed in these these recommendations here. Um that you do at least want to get to, you know. You don't, you don't want, if you can avoid it, one contest to dominate your entire diversifiers yeah. here like the mini-max would. So if I max this out, obviously I'd be right about there. Um, but I'm going to instead play a couple of these $1.20 maxes, play some additional entrance in the the uh, mini-max, and now I've got, you know, I'm, I'm right there. So I didn't max out the mini-max. I'm only playing 75% of my allocation. But I've 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 reached that there, um, and I think this is interesting. You know, in particular, this is a spot where we're differentiating from what you know. You never would have played the mini max uh, with our previous contest selection recommendations here, but now it's it's clear it's an opportunity to diversify a little bit. So, yep. Um, okay, so that makes uh, that that sets up our diversifiers there. I'm going to enter those, and now I'm looking basically for another twenty five dollars in the elevator contests. Um, on DK, I think the easiest way to actually go about doing this here is to just search single entry. Uh, and I only want tournaments. Um, and I'm going to focus on the uh, under $5 stuff first, right? So I'm going to go ahead and get into these. That gives me $9 here. Then let's look at the three entry maxes. 
that I can get into. And I actually will be pretty close right about there. So that will do yeah. it. Uh, and that's uh, $100. Uh, and I have this nice portfolio of contests where I have some diversification. Uh, I have some shots at some higher upside uh, outcomes if the, the right lineup ends up in the right spot. And I, I feel pretty good about this here. So, Yeah, uh, I will say just one more thing that the RS uh, just put in the Slack was basically, are you saying single build of 171 lineups or... Um, you know, I, I assume the other is is not 171. What I would recommend is so you know for Jordan here that for each of these uh, for each of these lineups that he's putting in this contest, he's entering a unique lineup in that contest. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know exactly how many how many lineups he has here. 145, I guess. Yeah. Um, it would be he would be building 145 lineups. Uh, on, on Saberson, so yeah, and I I do think so on the practical side on Saberson, uh, you will have to let's just pull up the app real quickly here. Um, you know to to make sure that you are getting a unique lineup here into every single contest, you will have to build one build, uh, which means you will have to pick a mid set or a this is super small again here. Uh, what? Um, you will have to pick kind of a middle ground set of sliders that that fits this overall contest portfolio. Um, I found that the 20 max 10 to 50k sliders do a pretty good job of that. I I will totally concede here that you know I think uh, some future analysis going down this route w- could be on you know actually how good how good is a 20 a, a lineup optimized for a 20 max 10 to 50k entered into the daily dollar. Um, I think we've generally kind of assumed that it's pretty good, uh, but I would love for us to, to analyze that a little bit further and actually be able to speak like confidently on, on how much you're, you're sacrificing there or gaining. But in the, in the interest of building a unique lineup for every contest, yeah, you would want to do, you know, something, I would build something to this effect here. Yeah. And I guess just my last point on that is I think there probably are very minor gains in like, you know, building, if, if you're in a three max building with three max settings and yeah. then, you know, using those. Um, but I think practically, you know, it's, it's, it is a marginal gain. Um, so it's, it's something that you could do, but um, definitely not, not like a hundred percent needed. Before we hit FanDuel here, um, Matt asked in theory, what would be the difference between entering 150 unique lineups in 150 different single entries versus 150 lineups in a single contest like the Minimax? That is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, so this one, I, I believe that if, you know, if, if for some reason you could get 150 unique in 150 single entries, I think that that would be way better. Yeah. Um, you know, just, Having that concentration in the one contest uh, definitely increases your variance. And so, you know, even if if you can spread those unique lineups across different single entries, you're going to be playing different lineups in those contests. Um, You know, if if, uh, in one contest you're blocked by some really good lineup, you know, maybe in the other one you're not versus in the Minimax, if someone just has a crazy good lineup, you, you know, you're, you're blocked from getting first. And then also, 
Um, if you have 150 unique and 150 single entries, you're not competing with yourself at all either. Um, yeah. You know, your one lineup has its chance on its own. You're not, you know, your, your lineup getting second doesn't prevent your lineup your, or your other lineup in the contest from getting second. So um, I, I think that's an interesting sort of thought experiment. It is. And it makes me feel very confident then that the right answer for that question we had a second ago was to do what we did and play those two solo shots first uh, to, to get into a few different contests, right. As opposed to just maxing the mini max. So, um, okay, cool. And let's go ahead and jump over to FanDuel. Let's do it there. I think this one will be particularly a little bit fun just because a lot of this analysis that we've done here so far has been on DK. uh, And I'm interested to kind of see how this, this works uh, over on FanDuel here. So let's do, um, you can see, I will be taking down the, um this big uh qualifier for the the $3,300 tonight um but anyway let's go ahead and and do this here as well so uh we'll do entry fee here again and I'm going to focus on my diversifiers first um and I want 70 50 50 to 75 dollars there um in the 20 max and 150 maxes so we'll go ahead and enter this one first let's get again another quick lineup built so we can use the bulk entry tool and let's see. I feel like FanDuel's a little bit harder to do this super fast. Yeah. Uh, I do think an interesting thing to note with FanDuel is like this contest in particular is uh, it was like a hundred thousand entrants. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that obviously the more entrants, it's it's harder to get first. Uh, however what we noticed with some of the FanDuel stuff is like this, you know, the, the payout structure is, is pretty flat, um, which kind of offsets some of that, uh, like so many entrants. Um, so just, uh, something to keep in mind. And again, it's, it's a little bit difficult to, obviously we couldn't run the same analysis on, on FanDuel. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think too, I mean, in this particular contest, I, I, it's, it's, I feel like your risk of ruin of putting 150 lineups in this is really low just because it, it pays out a ton of the field. Uh, It rarely fills, it overlays constantly. It's a two X min cash. The payout structure is really flat. I I think it like is, it's low stakes, but it is a true diversifier in that it, you can just get a lot of unique lineups in play uh, really quickly. So also very good practice, you know, as well, uh, to getting building 150 lineups here over on FanDuel. So, uh, okay. So let's go ahead. So we can get immediately 250s in, uh, for $45. Um, so we'll want to try to get to, uh, a few more diversifier contests here. We've got some single entries, three entry maxes. We're going to skip those here for now. Uh, and the next kind of diversifier type contest will be this 25 entry max. Uh, so Mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and enter this, um, let's see what 25 does. So that's a hundred dollars. So that's too much, right? We want $75 max here. Uh, so I will say 15, 13. Yeah. So that's about half, which we have, uh, like in the, um, you know, in the slides there, if, if you can get to half, that's completely fine, um, to, to sort of fill out that allocation, like half of the, half of the max entry. So. Cool. So we now get our diversifiers in there. 
and holy smokes, this is <laughs> so going to take cool. FanDuel about a half hour to process these here. Um, so, I mean, again, but another good question. So 313 lineups. What is it? 12 game slate here tonight. We'd recommend yep. your unique lineup into every single one to really get the value of, of what these contests are supposed to do for your portfolio. Uh, 313 unique lineups here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just accelerating, you know, your, your realization of, of your profit by, by playing that many entries. And I, I mean, definitely it's something to get used to uh, with, you know, the builder managing your exposures, mm -hmm. um, that, that stuff, but overall, uh, definitely a uh, a variance reducer so and one entry failed uh that it always happens they okay put it, yeah oh right because i had already entered one okay yep okay so now we need to find 25 dollars into our elevators here um so let's go find those here so we'll do again do entry fee uh i think they do have this single entry here which can be a little bit useful and okay, so we'll get into the bunt. Fando has these smaller versions. Um, I've, what are your thoughts on these? Um, as um, yeah, I I would I would probably look for other options, the other ones first. Okay, and then you know if if you're getting to too high of like a, a dollar entry fee, then, you know, you can come back to those, but um, uh, yeah, I, I would probably even enter the, the MLB single over that. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe at this point you're coming back to it. Uh, I'm, um, I don't want to play this, <laughs> so okay. I'm not going to, um, yeah. I'm going to go ahead. Yeah. And, and play these, you know, I guess what I'm thinking there is that these are my, me, these are my big ROI boosters, right? I'm already diversified elsewhere in my portfolio. I want these to be opportunities on a single lineup to turn, you know, $5 into $500 or, uh, $10 into to 400 or whatever these end up being. So I'm going to focus here, uh, on, on, on those outcomes here for these. Um, I, don't think there's a lot of three entry maxes here um, on FanDuel. So I'm at about $18. I was shooting for 25. Uh, I think the next single entry that I could get into would be the $25. So um, maybe I'm eating my words here because I think <laughs> I'm going to have to enter these to get to my allocation here. Um, so that might be a decent way to fill up. I guess in, in general, um, this is an interesting question here uh if i can't if i can't fill up if i can't find another elevator contest to get to my my bankroll allocation for that slate what do you think maybe is the best thing to do should i go find some other like diversifying contests to play or just stick with what i can can afford to play here or, or what do you think yeah i mean i think it's uh it's it's a little bit of, of personal preference there uh mm -hmm. what i would recommend is like just you know know that if if you're adding stuff to these you know to diversifiers um especially if you're not maxing stuff if you know you have your five dollars left over or whatever um you are just increasing your variance a little bit and so in theory then your bankroll allocation should drop just a little bit um and so that sort of you know lends credence to just you know keeping it at what it's at and not sort of going over. Um, but yeah, I think that's mostly 
kind of a, a personal thing where you can decide. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. So that is what I'll do. So I'm going to stick at, you know, 94.86 as opposed to um, finding somewhere to just stuff an extra $5 into a contest that won't even really help diversify. So, um, and quick question from Dwayne. He said in Slack, when you say unique lineup, are you referring to using the unique unique rank fill method? Uh, either the unique rank or the unique random would, would accomplish that. Um, I guess... I, I think my my initial impression is that I'm probably going to use the unique random here. Uh, but do you have any thoughts on maybe a potential strategy of like sorting by entry fee or sorting by size and then using a unique rank fill that fills by saber score or something like that? Any, um, you know, I, I've and again, this isn't very data driven at all, but I've always been a unique random kind of guy. Yeah, uh, I just I feel like you know then you get the true. It's, it's not like all of your uh, Yankee stacks are getting sort of shoved into one contest or anything like that. Like it just spreads out those right. lineups in the various right. contests uh, pretty well. Um, so that's what I'd recommend, but I don't, you know, I, I don't have any hard and fast sort of data or anything around that. Just again, a sort of a personal thing, I think. Unique random is, is a lifestyle. I think you just yeah. have to embrace it. You, yeah. you, you, uh, Trust, put your trust into the DFS gods and let the right right lineup end up in the right contest. Uh, Matt said, related to the uh, question above, uh, could you use those tiny bunts as part of your diversifiers as long as you use unique lineups? Hmm. Um. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think what's what's really unique about the diversifiers is the opportunity to get a lot of different unique lineups in play, right? Yeah. Um, that you just, I think the, the thought experiment of 150 single entry contests where you could get 150 unique lineups is, is interesting, but you can't actually do that, right? Like the only reason we've created these buckets here of diversifier and elevator is to kind of separate what the actual contest lobby looks like. Um, if there were 150 small bunts, I imagine you could enter all of them and treat it as something that diversifies your portfolio, but yeah, but there isn't, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel is, um, you know, I mean, I guess technically, like technically entering a tiny bunt is diversifying you slightly. Um, but you know, for the purposes of this, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it should sort of count towards your your actual, uh, you know, allocation to, to your daily wager. Right. And I know, so again, I, I think as we move forward, uh, looking ahead to, you know, the next sports seasons that are coming, we've got football on the horizon, um, other, other sports going on. The goal here will be that I'll put out uh, a contest selection video, just like we've done in the past with some of these new principles here. Um, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more dialed in here too, as we move forward. Um, I know there were a couple, couple questions that came up here. Um, but, uh, I think there are some more opportunities with this new framework to, to, uh, be flexible with, right? I mean, we're saying 50 to 75% of your diversifier thing. Um, you know, that's a range that we feel pretty comfortable with. I ended up at 
75% on both of these examples. If for your contest selection mix, it makes sense for you to be more at 50%, that's fine. There were a couple other opportunities here with some of those smaller contests where it was a little bit up to me to decide if I wanted to enter those, enter those or not. So you do have a little bit more, I mean, there's a little bit more flexibility with this. This really is kind of a framework instead of like a set of laws, uh, like some of the, the, the last uh, contest selection recommendations were. And I think that's, that's a good thing. So, um, before we kind of begin to, to wrap up here, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and summarize a few things, but first, Eric, I was going to ask you, you know, if, if you had one takeaway for somebody, uh, to, to take away from this, uh, the most important lesson learned, what would that be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think to me, the most important thing is kind of you know, understanding your sort of realistic week or your realistic month, mm -hmm. uh, just in terms of um, how well you're doing, how many days you're winning. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to sort of, you know, go into a contest, you're tracking along and, you know, you're, you're invested in everything and, and it feels like you should be winning a lot more than you are. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I mean, it, you know, as much as we can try and reduce the variance and get to that long-term ROI a little bit quicker, um, you know, DFS is a long-term game. Uh, and understanding that in a realistic manner, I think, is is a really good takeaway just to kind of manage, like, okay, you know, I've, I've lost three days this week, but, like, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, like, stay positive and just um, kind of kind of keep keep going through that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, I was going to mention that as well. I think, uh, since, since you touched on that, I will say, uh, for me, um, thinking about contest selection more from the standpoint of portfolios rather than individual contests, uh, getting away from, you know, is it better to play this or that and thinking more, how does playing this fit into what I'm already entered into the slate? How diversified are my contests that I'm entered into now? Do I need to get uh, some more upside elevator type contests in there. Should I get more diversity into my contest portfolio? That kind of thing, uh, I think is just a, a really um, modern and unique approach to contest selection uh, that that's kind of different than a lot of what else is out there. So uh, I think that's that's a really interesting takeaway here as well. Um, as we begin to wrap up, I will just a couple more reminders here. Uh, this episode of Office Hours will will go live on the, the podcast version of Office Hours, uh, but it will also be on the new Behind the Sims podcast uh, featuring, I think, four other episodes of our internal conversations we had as a SaberSim team to come up with this research and to work through this, uh, to overcome obstacles, to kind of talk through it as this process went along. That should be up in the next couple of weeks. Really looking forward to that. That will be a continuing uh, podcast for us. So I don't know exactly what we have planned for that next at the moment, but our goal again is to continue to, to post that uh, as we work on new projects, new models, updating old models, things like that. So really excited uh, about that. Um, I think that is it. That's all I have here uh, for today. Before we get out of here, any other final thoughts, Eric? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to me. I know uh, we've been at it here for a little over an hour and a half all of a sudden, so it goes fast. So yeah. uh, I will be right back on office hours here on Monday for the uh, open Q&A uh, stream uh, in my new office after I, I finish my, my move this weekend. So uh, good luck to everybody uh, in your DFS pursuits this weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. See ya. See you guys.